welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm going to read you a few bedtime stories. Before we begin, I wanted to announce my new podcast, Historic Hangouts, where my husband James and I talk about hangout spots of historic figures and celebrities throughout history. It's a casual show that has been so fun to do. It's the first time you're probably going to hear me being a lot more casual, a lot more like the rambles at the end of this show, plus a co-host. I've never had a co-host before. The first two episodes are available now wherever you get your podcasts. Again, it's Historic Hangouts. I wanted to start off with giving you a couple to choose from, ones from more recent history and ones from older history. And I really appreciate those of you who have already listened. I saw the numbers and I was so excited that people have already started listening. It makes me so happy. I really hope you like it. There's going to be new episodes every other Thursday. So you can follow the social media for that show on Twitter and Instagram at HistHangPod. That's H-I-S-T HangPod. So Twitter and Instagram is where we are at right now for socials. Um, There's also an email address, but it's in the show notes if you want to give us any suggestions for cool spots that we may not have heard of that you know of that were historically cool or relevant. They don't even have to be cool, cool. They could be bad, cool, like just interesting. You know what I mean? Um, So yeah. Anyway, now on to the episode. First up this week, we have a story from Oliver Demborski, who, apart from writing scary stories, is studying to become a jeweler and a goldsmith, which is so cool. He resides in the Czech Republic, specifically Prague, where he enjoys oil painting and reading classic literature in his spare time. This week he has for us, Gifts. Our story starts on a stormy night, as many others do. Thunder lit up the sky like fingers caressing the darkness that suffocated the night. Wind chattered about whispered secrets told by the lonely and forgotten. She was home, in her apartment specifically, doing this and that without a care in the world. She read some, watched something when she got bored of reading, all in the comfort of her home. Unbeknownst to her, she wasn't alone, and she certainly did not invite anyone. She was carelessly watching some romantic comedy, something undoubtedly stupid. It was below her, one of her frivolous, idiotic friends most certainly recommended it to her. She herself would never stoop so low as to choose something of this sort. She laid in her bed. Must have been some comfort to separate herself from the storm outside like this. She looked so comfortable in her bed, snug between the covers, warming herself with a cup of tea, visibly enjoying herself. It was baffling how she could enjoy the bizarre entertainment she was watching. Truly, a person in love with their best friend's brother who was in love with someone else? How could someone really enjoy that? I saw her shiver when lightning lit up the night sky outside her window. 
She pulled her covers a little closer to her, trying to shoo it away. One moment after, she started looking around her as if she could feel something was wrong. As if she could feel... she couldn't have. I listened to her rustling around beneath the bed sheets, covered up by the wind howling outside. It whispered and whispered, as if trying to warn her of something. Something wrong. She couldn't understand anyways. So the wind just gave a perfect cover, loud enough for anyone wishing to go unheard or unseen. Creeping through the house would be an incredibly easy task now. A little slip of light creeped from her half-open door in the hallway, but no matter how hard it tried, it wasn't nearly bright enough to reveal anything. She knew nothing, completely oblivious. It was perfect. There would never be a more perfect stage than this. It was absolutely toe-curlingly delightful. She suddenly rose from her bed, most likely needing to use the restroom. It was the most probable reason, since the amount of tea she had been downing Yes, there wasn't a different reason imaginable than this. While getting up, she was quite shaky, looking from left to right as if expecting something to suddenly lunge at her or grab at her feet from beneath the bed. She did look like a poor little scaredy cat after all. Disgusting. She looked as if she knew, knew something wasn't right, but there was no way she could hear or see anything. Could she? Absolutely not. The precision was unimaginable for her feeble brain, so what the hell was she doing? It was understandable that she would be slightly off-put by the storm and raging wind outside, while also living completely alone, without any companion or friend. But to be this scared was just utterly pathetic. To get to the restroom she so obviously needed, she had to turn on all of the lights of the hallway, which, in short, meant getting to the light switch in the dark first. That feeling of her discomfort was thick, enough to be sliced through with a knife. The gears in her head were visibly turning during her preparation, as she most likely thought her options through. Would she run to get there as fast as she could, dismissing the darkness before anything could get a bite out of her? Would she decide to move slowly, trying not to trip in the dark, while quietly trying not to alert anything. How utterly exciting it was, seeing her weigh her options. What, oh what, would she choose? After all of that, she chose to walk slow, creeping forward towards the light switch, 
eyes bulging out of her skull. Poor thing couldn't see anything in the dark of the hallway. Yet, she tried, hoping to reveal whatever might hide in the darkness. She saw absolutely nothing, right until she heard a soft, squelching sound, sounding from right below her foot. I felt her freeze on the spot, until she started frantically searching for the light switch. It was sole millimeters from the tips of her fingers, but her frantic movement made her miss it again and again. Once she finally found it, there was a slight hesitation. Did she truly want to see what it was that disturbed her so? Maybe she could forget it. Maybe it was just a leftover piece of food fallen on the floor. It wasn't. Seconds after the lights flickered to life, I heard a chilling scream. It was high-pitched, full of terror. I've never heard anything so... delightful. The beautiful sound didn't last long, though. It was over as quick as it had started. I was hoping to hear more, but I have a good feeling I will be hearing more very soon. The little gift I left for her. I could hear how much she truly loved it. It was an eye. It was a beautiful green with shades of yellow. The sclera started going yellow throughout. Sadly, I waited too long to give it. Too long. And to be precise, it was a human eye. From the sound she let out, I was truly sure that she adored it. Surely, how could you dislike such a beautiful little thing? I picked it very carefully, plucking it right from the skull. A few weeks ago, just when I started watching her, she'll be so happy when she sees the rest. Oh, I simply cannot wait. I left little gifts all around her apartment. An eye here, a finger there. You wouldn't believe that I even left a human heart in her living room. A beautiful human heart. It has long since stopped beating, but the beauty was still there. Do not worry about that. I'll let her find one after another, until she simply goes mad. Madness is so delightful. I cannot wait to give this to her as well. It is the purest gift there is. She will soon understand when she tastes it for herself. She'll finally be happy. I saw her unloved, alone. She wasn't happy in the slightest. And when she grows tired of it, I will make 
her into the next gift. The next target will be delighted. Her eyes are truly a beautiful color. Our next submission is from Christy Watkins, who mentioned that she once got to correspond with Anne Rice, and I am forever jealous. She has for us a brilliantly delightful story in the form of a poem. Enjoy. The house was old, as she'd been told, her new room not quite so unused. Her mother told her it was time to sleep, a notion she simply refused. She found a board below her bed that claimed itself able to talk to the dead. This was quite different from her game that passed go. Upon it, engraved, was a yes and a no. There was an alphabet soup and a zero to nine, and a moon and a sun to help her refine any questions to be asked, so therefore she got on with the task, forgetting her lessons and Sunday confessions. Yes, she heard, don't dabble with dark, but her curiosity spiked like a watchdog's bark. And though so obedient on what time to be home and not to trust strangers, don't walk alone, she was leaving wide open the gate of protection, obsessing now on ghostly detection, such as who lived here before, which her voice bellowed out. The planchette then moved slow and methodic, changing directions, quite periodic. Stopping once only, its response was complete. With two names, she would unfortunately meet. A creepy crawly, who were quite mean and brute brawly. She tried to fold it away. They would be arriving before tomorrow's today. Afraid of these brothers, she dove under the covers, hiding from anything that potentially hovers. The storm outside wasn't of ease. With each gust, she shook down to her knees, the trees clattered as if to foretell that she had rung her own doom's bell. There was no running, she could only wait. There was no choice, it was much too late. She heard a little chant that began to repeat on its own accord and to its own beat. Creepy and crawly went to the story, only to return home a little more gory. They couldn't keep their hands off others. These were two very demented brothers. Creepy screams without clear-cut words. Instead of rocks, he throws blackbirds. Crawley is fond of his many flies. He gets more angry each time that one dies. A bodiless whisper said, don't go outside. They'll find where you live and they'll skin your whole hide. And don't even think you'll be safe in the light. For they're on a mission and they're coming tonight. She held the blanket tucked close to her ears, as sing-songy voices mocked all her fears. Creepy runs clumsy, and he often crashes, but he's a collector, especially that of eyelashes. He doesn't make wishes, it's in the part where he pries, that black fringe curtain from the lids of your eyes. 
Crawley is a doctor without a degree. Insurance not needed, he'll open you free. He believes that surgery is truly an art. But he's not very good, he'll tear you apart. Creepy likes football and plays with a head. His buttons are broken because he's overly fed. Just like a zombie, he feasts on dead skin. The more bodies he's eaten, the better chance that he'll win. Crawley is thinner, he's a lot like a draft. Can't hear him coming while you play with witchcraft. His soured milk stench just might alarm you. But not just before, he's already harmed you. They're not humans, they're demons, and yes, you should be scared. Nothing can fight them, you can't be prepared. Back to our story and this little girl, who decided to give the Ouija a whirl. She knew what she was doing, she knew she better stop, but the program still plays out, whether you like it or not. She hid under her quilt, eyes wide with fear, hearing stones scrape the pavement as they drew in near. They can't be predicted, they arrive when they want, while victims grow pale, quivering and gaunt. She could still hear the voices through the sun shone bright. Her mother asked her, are you feeling all right? She couldn't respond, she was scarred for all life. She couldn't stop thinking about Crawley's dull knife. Creepy was close, she could hear enraged screams. Her family packed her, despite all their dreams. She went to a room with a little white gown, bulging eyes and a permanent frown. Everyone knew that the girl had gone crazy, off the deep end like Frankenstein's daisy. There she was left, drowning in horror, forever and ever, as part of her karma. And last, every once in a while, I like to dig into the Patreon archives and present them on the show to give a sneak peek of what's available over there. Or for those of you who I've been in this position before, can't afford Patreon right now, and totally understandable, I like to give you a little something, you know? And so this is my interpretation of the classic creepypasta, The Russian Sleep Experiment. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed circuit cameras so they only had microphones and five-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on, but no bedding, running water and toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners, deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised, falsely, 
that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of their conversation took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were, and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering to the microphones and one-way mirrored portholes. Oddly, they all seemed to think that they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects, in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it. Or rather, didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working, since they thought it was impossible that no sound could be coming with five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives. They were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, We are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase and a calm voice response. We no longer want to be freed. Debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response with the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air. And immediately, voices from the microphone began to object. 
three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones to turn the gas back on. The chamber was open, and soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that any of them in life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects' thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber. Blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abdominal organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects had been removed while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. The skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working, digesting food. It quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives, if you count ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. In the struggle, one of the four living test subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. 
he was injected with more than ten times the human dose of a morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arms of one doctor. When Hart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point, there was more air in his vascular system than blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word more, over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility, the two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedatives they had given him to prepare him for the surgery. He fought furiously against the restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch-wide leather strap on his wrist. Even through the weight of a 200-pound soldier holding that wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under. And the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in his struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of the five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed, he was unable to beg or object to surgery, and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested, reluctantly, they try the surgery without anesthetic, and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should be medically impossible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. It was simple. Keep cutting. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery both without anesthetic as well, although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. 
The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced, and they were placed back in the chamber, awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers, facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, an ex-KGB, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for a long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds with all his might. First left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off the pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering brain death before returning to manhood. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwave showed some flat lines as the one who just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. He pointed his gun at the remaining subject, 
still restrained to a bed as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things. Not with you. He screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you? He demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? The subject asked. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all. Beg to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out. So nearly free. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to my authors this week, Oliver Damborski and Christy Watkins, and to the anonymous person who wrote that amazing creepypasta, uh, one of the best. <laughs> uh, you can follow the show at Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Scary to Sleep. If you have a story you'd like me to do my Scary to Sleep magic on, you can send it to scarytosleep at gmail.com to be considered for the show. Uh, you can also follow me personally on Twitter at Shelby B. Scott, if you'd like to see that. <laughs> uh, and let's see what else you can also find me. Oh, yeah, I've, I mentioned this already, but on the bloody disgusting TikTok, be disgusting. And please check out my new show, Historic Hangouts. If you're into history and it's, again, very casual, we try to make it kind of funny and yeah, hopefully you'll learn something and just come hang out with us. It's been a lot of fun to do. The audio um, on James's part is a little bit rough, but we are getting that figured out. It's just my first time setting up two microphones in one room for, you know, two different people. And so it's that's all on me. I'm the tech guy for the, for the show. So we're figuring that out. But uh, it's not bad. It's just a little bit reverby. It's mostly for audiophiles who are just going to notice. But the rest of you, it's probably going to be fine. That's just me being extra insecure. It's the first time. It's the first podcast I have released in five years. Uh, the, you know, this one I came out almost five years ago. This first time I'm like releasing a new one. And it's very nerve wracking. I know I had the one on podcast, but I had nothing to do with any of the actual releasing stuff. And this has been... I'm very, I'm very nervous, basically, to hear what you have to say. I hope you like it. Again, this is something we're kind of doing for fun. And but I still love feedback. I would still love feedback if you have any and any suggestions if you have any. So yeah, go check out historic hangouts. This week I did. Oh, okay, so I made that lemon supreme pie that I mentioned last week. Delicious. Fantastic. If you like lemon and like it's like a lemon cheesecake sort of but much lighter. 
And for the most part, it's a no-bake recipe. I bake the pie crust that I put it in. You could probably just use like a graham cracker crust, though. I just prefer a baked flaky pie crust. But fantastic. If you want the recipe again, uh, let me know. And then I made... <laughs> the other night, I tried to make a batch of chocolate chip cookies that I have made a million times. A million. It's like a no-brainer recipe for me. And I burnt the whole batch. Like they were inedible. I even tried and they were inedible. I was so sad. I, I, (laughs) it was awful. Basically I had been seasoning my cast iron skillets and I had my rack in my oven too low and they got too much heat. So anyway, but then to make up for it the next day, I made a chocolate chip cookie bars and those were perfect. They turned out so, so freaking good. In fact, I feel like the baking gods like made this my best batch of chocolate chip cookie bars to make up for the fact that I burned a whole batch of cookies the day before. Uh, Anyway, so that's what I baked this week. I hope you're doing something fun this week, whether it's baking or painting or sculpting or walking or I don't know, doing whatever it is that makes you happy, playing video games, doing all that. So I'm going to go. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.